All right, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, that'll be our opening scripture. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Are you there yet? Yes. Can you get a witness? Yes, you can. Can you get a glory hallelujah? The moment there, I thought you were run DMC. All right, First Peter four, beginning with verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love love covers a multitude of sins. Nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So, to summarize that in one short phrase, we are stewards of grace. Uh, a steward is someone that is managing and handling something that's given to them. Uh, so, we're God gives us his grace, and we need to manage it and handle it and steward it. Uh, in such a way that it brings glory to him and and has impact on other people's lives. The the premise of having this opening scripture is to give us that foundation of strength, that spiritual strength, because there's a major event on the horizon that will affect every single person in the world everyone. A mask or vaccine will not protect anyone. An underground bunker will not shield anyone from this event. This uh, cataclysmic event will cause untold destruction. There's no way to predict when it's going to happen. And even if there was, like I said, nothing (coughs) can stop it. It is not an event caused by man, although many will say it is. It is not an event caused by nature, although many will say that it is. Uh, It will come upon the earth suddenly when people aren't expecting it. One day we'll be doing the same thing we did yesterday and the day before, but this coming day will be different. After it happens, People everywhere will be talking about it, much the same as we all reminisce about where we were on 9-11, right? We remember that moment that day, that morning. Where was I on 9-11 when that disaster happened? This coming event is nothing you can escape from. Try as you might. And the event is called the taking. The taking is going to happen in an instant. And at a time 
we cannot predict. Um, many call this the rapture. It is not the return of Jesus, which will be at a known time. That's what's different, different about this coming event. Once the tribulation starts, God has told us to the day when Jesus will return after that starts. So that event, the return, doesn't sneak up on us. So let's look at what Jesus, our creator, tells us about this coming event. Turn with me to Luke 17. As I was uh, putting this message together, uh, I realized that it had been at least five, six, seven years since I preached on this scripture. And it really kind of came to my attention when we were meeting over at Bob and Marcy's house reading through Luke. And, and this one just hit me. So I, that was kind of the uh, genesis of why we're hearing about it today. Sometimes I think um, maybe I'm being too repetitive. I'm preaching on this particular event and this, this Bible topic. Um, but... Um, as I just said, it's the next major coming event. There's no stopping it. It will come, and it will affect everyone. So we, as a body, as believers, need to have a pretty good handle on this to understand how we should walk out our faith in these coming days. Are right, you there? Luke 17, we're going to read verses 26 and 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So scripture, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus teaching. Jesus is answering a question with this teaching. And he's likening it back to the days of Noah, giving us a real-world example of what life will be like when this event comes. It'll be just like it was way back in the days of Noah. I mean, we all know, we're familiar, we've all read the story of the worldwide flood during Noah's time. And we see how God used Noah. <coughs> and I think we look back at it and we say, they should have all known. But before we get a little too judgmental on that, um, let's continue through and see what God shows us. I find it fascinating. I mean, we have to believe and, and suspect that Noah was telling people, you know, a flood's coming. You know, let's get on the ark, be saved. And at the same time, I find it very fascinating that after the ark was ready to enter, he, he said, gave him a seven-day notice. The flood will start in seven days. I find that fascinating. I, don't, uh, I could give you all kinds of ideas of why he said that, and I'm sure we can all find things in scripture that couldn't answer that. But I just find that fascinating. In seven days, 
this flood is coming. And it came. It came. Uh, verses 28 through 30. Well, we'll go through 33. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, <clears throat> they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Um, on the slides, by the way, I have the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is referring to, uh, in case you want to take notes. Um, if you're not really a note taker, uh, on our website, we post the sermon each week, and I posted all of the scriptures that form the foundation of the message today. We're not going to read through them all, but if I um, say something and you're wondering, well, is that in the Bible? Where did it come from? You can go to where the audio message is going to be and look up the scriptures, so it'll be kind of a, a good handy little Bible study there. So here again, in the days of Lot, in the town of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, life was just going on as usual. You know, yesterday was the same as the day before. And they all thought tomorrow was going to be the same, next week, next month. They were making plans, long-term plans, both in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. They were planting. You know, when you plant a field, you have to wait. When you, when you marry, you're marrying... Uh, for the future. When you're building something, you're building something, it takes you uh, quite a while to build it, but it's for the future. It's, you know, you have to build it, and then it gets used. So they were thinking about the future, but it was really from an earthly standpoint. They, they had no idea what was going to happen in the very next day, and it was going to be catastrophic. Um, I think one of the points that we should get out of these two uh, stories is we should not be waffling on time and decisions. We should be numbering our days and making decisions now that we've been told we should do, that God has told us, God is leading us. <laughs> because as we say often, you, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. We don't know what tomorrow's going to be. Another point that's being made here, oh, next slide, by the way, is um, don't hang on to the world too tightly. I think that we can get used to our life, what we've built up. We can get used to our things and become a little too protective of our things. Um, I would even go so far as to say we need to be careful about hanging on too tightly to family. We have to trust the family to God. Um, Jesus 
teaches us that. And, and we've got to grow in our trust that God is sovereign and he's Lord, that he's trustworthy. Scripture continues on. Uh, by the way, there's the Genesis 19 scripture, if you want to read the, the background of that statement that Jesus made. But uh, Lot and his family were rescued. God knows how to rescue the righteous. He knows how to hold um, evil in the chains until this time of judgment that comes in the future. Uh, 34 and 36 through 36, Jesus continues, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other one left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I got a question. I'm sure you do too. Next slide. So if we're going to ask the questions of Scripture of Jesus, where did the people go? You know, say two people in bed, one's gone, uh, two women grinding at the, the mill, and one's gone. One is left, and we had two men out in the field. One's gone, and the other one's left. Where did they go? Where did they go? And the answer is to be with Jesus. Jesus was teaching this so that we would understand there's going to come a day. We won't know exactly when it is. And at that time, at that moment, time is up. There's... No more time to be making your decisions. So, how do we know that what I'm saying is right? How do we know that these people went to be with Jesus? Um, the scriptures, we read John 14, 1 through 6, uh, last week or the week before. Jesus was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes on the Father. And Philip was asking, well, we don't know where you're going. What's the way? And he is the way. Uh, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, 50, it talks about in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed from our mortal body to immortal. Immortal means we will no longer die. It's different than eternity. Eternity has no beginning. Being immortal starts, has a beginning and leads us on. Um, the other scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, Paul's talking about preparing for that day when we will all meet Jesus in the air and we'll be reunited with those that have gone on before. <coughs> okay, where did they go? How do we know? Who took them? Jesus. At the rapture, or this taking, uh, the church will be united with Jesus, who is called the bridegroom. The church is called the bride. And we will have an official wedding ceremony in heaven during that seven-year tribulation and the wedding supper. 
And it, it will be that eternal union of Christ and his bride that he's promised from early on. And John the Baptist, essentially, he compares himself to the best man. I'm the best man. You're the bride. Jesus is the bride. <coughs> so why is one taken and one left? <coughs> that, that's a significant point. There's a significant question there. Well, one was part of the bride. One was part of the kingdom of God. One was part of his family. And the other was not. Each of those two have a different master. One, the one that's taken, God is their master. Jesus is their master. The other one is not taken and left behind. At that point, that moment, Satan is their master. And they will eventually go to the fiery lake along with Satan. This is um, this happens suddenly, uh, you know, without warning. We've been taught and warned already from Scripture. Um, you're, you've no doubt shared it with others, and others have shared it with you. This is not an unknown thing. It's not something that can't be known. This is very similar to when Jesus talks about the harvest of the wheat and the tares. Let them grow together until such time of the harvest, and then they will be separated. This, this last verse is kind of curious. They ask Jesus, where, Lord? Where is this going to happen? And he says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, he's saying, <clears throat> he's talking about those that are left behind, the dead. Spiritually dead and physically dead. And as you know, birds of prey, they can smell out carrion, you know, dead animal, roadkill. And wherever is found a mass of incurable moral and spiritual corruption, there will be seen at this point in time the ministers of divine judgment. They will be descending and settling on um, the people that are left behind. Okay. Pretty um, tough stuff. What happens after this event? What happens after the taking? I think it's important for us to understand and realize too, to be aware of. Um, we need to be aware of what this event is, the taking. We need to be aware of what it is not. If you are not living your life with Jesus, you will not be taken to heaven at that moment. So all of us who are alive, this is what 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about, we who are alive will be raised up and meet the dead in Christ. Um, so the one that was taken, they were living their life with Christ and they were taken to be with him. And after that event, the Bible doesn't tell us how many hours or days, but shortly after that event, judgment begins. Judgment begins. And the four horsemen initiate it. So turn with me to Revelation 6, and let's see what Scripture has to say 
So leading up to um, Revelation 6 and Revelation 5, uh, just to recap it for you, uh, there's a scroll with seven seals and no one was found to open it. And uh, the Apostle John was crying and then the, the Lamb came and he was deemed worthy to open it. So Jesus, the Lamb, in heaven is opening up this scroll, pulling off one seal at a time. So we're, we start with chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So this first horseman, uh, a lot of times it's said the horseman of the apocalypse, this first horseman it points to the Antichrist. And we see in some of these other scriptures I've mentioned this morning that, that are on that list, that once the church is gathered up and taken out of the world, once the Holy Spirit has stepped aside and let evil and lawlessness take its full reign, then the Antichrist will appear on earth. He will be revealed. He does. He, the way Scripture says he will be revealed leads us to believe that he's already living before this moment. Um, it's not like he all of a sudden magically appears or comes out of heaven. So, when the Antichrist is revealed, the man of lawlessness is revealed to take control of the world, to be that one ruler over whole, the whole world. And we see what he does here. He, he comes not to bless or comfort, but to conquer, to be that world leader, and to conquer others that... Um, won't submit to him. We, we read in Daniel <coughs> where he talks about the little horn that comes up and he conquers and subdues three of the ten horns. So this first horseman is speaking of the Antichrist. Verses three and four. When he opened the second seal, the he here is Jesus opening the second seal. I heard the second living creature saying, come. And out came another horse. Bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace from earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So John sees this vision, and he's recording it for us, and you can imagine how frightful it was for him. And this, this second horseman refers to terrible warfare that will break out in the end times. We have the last days and we have the end times. The end times, we're speaking of the seven-year tribulation. So if we think war is prevalent and evil now, it's going to be worse. It'll be way worse. Um, those wars will include the Antichrist's rise to power. And somehow he will conquer these three other kings. Verses 5 and 6. Then he opened the third seal, and I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. 
And this rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and the three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So at that time, food will be scarce. Prices will be inflated beyond reason. The command to spare the oil and the wine is intriguing. And if we think about it, what is oil and wine used for and who uses it? It's used by Jews and Christians. We use it for communion. We use it to anoint and pray for healing. Somehow God says to leave this there. I find that intriguing. Beyond that, I can't tell you a whole lot more about that. The Bible doesn't seem to give us a whole lot of clear understanding why that is. But we think about the cost of food now and inflation now. Well, the way the scripture is describing it is a whole day's wages <coughs> will be required just to buy that one little bit. And it's not going to feed that much. That amount of food is only going to last for a day. And I've heard it said that barley is really not food for us to eat. It's more for animals and beer. We can make beer out of it, I guess. So um, we're not, I mean, we take it for granted how easily we can get food here in America in this age and time. When when I've been on mission trips to a lot of the rural places in African India, uh, they don't have food in their cupboards. You know, you you get up every morning, you pray for your daily bread, literally, for food to come somehow. And they're living on it on a day-by-day basis. They don't go to the grocery store and buy all kinds of stuff and load up bags and take it home in their car. First of all, they don't have a car. But they're dependent upon God on a daily thing. For And we, we're kind of spoiled. We're blessed, actually. But we take it for granted. So it will no longer be like it is for now. We, we cannot count on having all the food that we want during this time. Um, verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> then when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. This is not just an event that will kind of happen. He was given power to do it and he intended to do it and he went out and do it, did it. We'll do it, I should say. The pale color denotes sickliness. And this fourth horseman is going to bring further law warfare and terrible sickness and famines, plagues, diseases, attacks by wild animals. And a fourth of the world's population will die on this fourth horseman. A fourth Right now, that would be 2 billion people. The continent of Africa 
I believe has 1 billion. The continent of India has 1 billion people. It, it's just unfathomable how many people that is that would be killed on this fourth horseman. What is most amazing, or maybe perhaps terrifying, is that these four horsemen are just precursors of what is yet to come. There will be more judgment and destruction and wrath. Much worse than these first four. And for all the horror that's brought by these four horsemen, there's much more to come. By midway through the tribulation, the tribulation is seven years, by midway, three, three and a half years through, three-fifths of the world population will be dead by then. So three and a half years, you know, more than half of the population is going to be dead. We read how an undescribed number will be taken to heaven in Luke. We just read that. And of whatever's left, you know, three-fifths of the population will be dead by the end of the first part of the tribulation. And scripture tells us that Jesus is the one opening the seals and sending out these horses. And that may be a real struggle for your faith. But Jesus has told you, Jesus is telling you now, even through this message, put your faith in Jesus. Only. We've all heard. Um, you can say in your mind or your heart, I don't like your sermon, Pastor, but I, I'm just reading Scripture. And I'm not the one that is going to make these things happen. Jesus is. But Jesus has offered every one of us the opportunity to have eternal life with him in heaven. I know that most, if not all of you, have put your faith in Jesus. But you know people. You're going to meet people. You, you have family and friends. And I would dare say most of us think, well, I got tomorrow, I got next week, I got next month. But we ought to be motivated because we don't know when it's coming. We do know it's coming. I'm hoping that after today's message that your uh, faith or understanding that what Scripture says that it's going to happen, that it's going to come. This is not a, this is not a myth. It's not a, uh, you know, a, a movie that's going to be happening. This is real world stuff, and it is so um, astounding to us. We can't even really wrap our minds around it. And when it happens, we will be. I dare say, uh, I hope most of us have joy, but most of us will be saying, wow, it's really happening. You know, my whole life, I went through reading the Bible and it was going to happen, it was in the future, but now it's happening. So there really is no indication of timing between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation, right? So right. that could be a hundred years, it could be ten days, it could be a thousand years. We don't really... No. I mean, it's indication that it's sooner rather than like Yeah, still. It, it's given, it's communicated in the way that it's soon after. 
<coughs> but again, it doesn't state it's 10 days after, seven days. Just like we were reading about Noah, when God said in seven days the flood's coming, maybe he'll do it in seven days. I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. And the so, people that survive the rapture on earth, not the ones that go to heaven, but the ones that survive that actual event, still have the opportunity to believe, but most of them aren't going to, right? That's they kind do. Of how it leads. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, scripture does um, use language that <coughs> would cause us to be open to the idea that there's more people saved during the tribulation than <coughs> prior. Um, so we don't know, but um, you can imagine what situation will be like when, when a good chunk of the population is gone and people start discovering, well, what did the Bible say about it? Um, I don't know about you. Remember that uh, bulletin I, or the booklet I had there that is designed for you to leave on your table so that when we're raptured out, the rest of your family can come and they find that book? Um, talk, it tells them what happened. Where did these people go? Um, the other thing I encourage you to do in your will, if you have a will, put a clause at the end that in the event you're here and you're reading my will and uh, you come into my house, prepare, make yourself at home. But here's what's happened to me. Um, so we've put that in our will. Anyway, get a little bit off track here. Um, so some say that the rapture is not in the Bible. The word rapture is not. Um, but the, the stories, the principles, um, the word harpazo is used in scripture, which means rapture. Uh, the words, the taking, the gathering are used. So it's not like we're going si to decide, well, here's Jesus. Okay, I'm jumping up and I'm going to heaven. No, he takes us. He gathers us up. Many people like to put down Christians and their, their faith in this rapture, saying that, that you're being weak or escapist. You think that God is just going to remove you <clears throat> from trouble. And the answer is, yeah, that, that's what the Bible says. Call us uh, what you will, but bottom line is, uh, those that believe are going to heaven. They get taken to heaven, and they're with Jesus um, wherever he is, wherever he goes. Um, some say, you know, I've known you for a while, and things continue to go on just like they always have. Um, you know, it's business as usual. Sun comes up, sun goes down. I get up, I go to work, I do my things. I come home, I go to bed, and then the next day I start all over. Things are just the same. This this coming judgment or rapture that you've been talking about, you've been talking about over and over, it's, it hasn't come yet. So maybe you ought to consider that it's not real. Well, that actually is one of the signs that it is impending. If you read in 2 Peter 3.3. 3. That's what one of the true signs that we are nearing that day. So, remember today's teaching 
And remember that it was Jesus' answer to the disciples and the Jews of when the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was going to come. They were, they were not, a lot of them weren't genuinely inquiring of Jesus. They were just testing him. They were taunting him. Okay, so when is this going to come? Jesus said to them, in his answer to them, if you read the verses ahead of the ones we started today in Luke 17, that there will come a time when finally, you will desire to see the days of the sons of man. You will desire to see Jesus. But you will end up being deceived. You will be running out to the false Christ. They will be deceived. You rejected him while he was standing there right in front of your face telling you that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now when you see all this Judgment happening, you come to your senses, and now maybe you want to seek out Jesus, but you will have been deceived. Um, Jesus calls these days, this coming time that I'm describing right now, that was in Luke 17, it's the days of the Son of Man. The days of the Son of Man. Jesus says that it won't be necessary for you to go out to a fake Son of Man. In other words, you won't have to go find him. You won't have to run to him. You won't have to see where he is because he's kind of hidden and he's beaten in a secret place. He says that just the way you see lightning in the sky, you can see it from a long, long ways away. It goes across the sky and everybody can see it. That's what it's going to be like. It will not be a hidden thing. And that's why, you know, um, deception is there. I've, I've heard it said that the actual width of a lightning bolt is so small, we would be shocked if we could measure it. It's not a huge thing. It's just so bright, so intense, we see it. And if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you will be able to discern the true Christ from the fake Christ. And that's why the people that are not saved, the ones that have rejected Christ up to that point, will run after the fake son of man because they don't have that discernment. They're responding with uh, an earthly response and not a heavenly response. Jesus said in Luke 17 that some other things must happen first before all of this happens. He was still on the earth. He was talking to the people. He said some other things must happen. First, he must be crucified. And he was. He must be raised from the dead on the third day to life. He was. And then next, while people are carrying on their daily life, their daily schedule, business as usual, with no care for the future, believers will be taken to heaven, to Jesus. And that's the second. <clears throat> so I have two more questions. Are you banking on having more time to carry out your purposeful, unrepentant sinning before having to truly come to Jesus. And this is what Jesus was warning the Pharisees about. That's why he was using the stories they were familiar with, the story of Noah, the story of Lot. But he was also pointing out that he knew what the Pharisees were thinking and doing, that they were sinning behind closed doors. 
Um, they had no belief. They did not accept Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah. They were deceiving others for their own benefit, and they were abusing grace. The fact of the matter is, the longer people go, and this is, is horrible, and I hate to have to say it, the longer people go without Jesus, the more they reject him, the harder their heart gets. Eventually, God is going to send a strong delusion on the world so that those who would not believe can no longer believe. Um, again, this is one of the scriptures in the list. It's 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. They will not be able to believe. So again, this gets down to <coughs> today is the day. You know, uh, it's the day of salvation. It's the day of visitation. So my second question is, um, are you banking on having more time to initiate a personal ministry or to have those conversations with people that might be interested in hearing about Jesus or to get involved in serving others? Are you banking on having more time? Like, well, that yeah, sounds like a good plan for next year or the year after. In fact, you know, I have to save up more money before I can go actually serve Jesus. Are you banking on having that kind of time? So our final scripture, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and he says, as for us. So in answer to these two implied questions, the ones that I spoke out, Paul is saying, as for us, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're saved, when we're born again, we are not made uh, sin-free, perfect, um, all, the, all the classic things we might think a Christian would be. When we're saved, when we're born again, we're saved from the wrath of God. God says the wrath will come upon sons of disobedience during this time that we're speaking of that opens up with these four horsemen. So as for us, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus. So he wants everyone to be saved who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning dead, we will live together with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build up one another just as you're also doing. So when we speak of this future event, it should be in a form of encouragement, <clears throat> not so much um, trying to scare someone or judge them, but if we can speak it in a loving way, you say, wow, this is, look at the great thing we have waiting for us. This event is going to come. It doesn't need to be fearful for you. It should not be fearful for any of us. We should be looking forward to it. We should be looking to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says that, that when we take communion, that we are proclaiming his death until he returns again. Amen. All right, conversation. Questions? When are they going to happen?
<laughs> you don't have a smartphone to put a calendar on. Your well, I got a calendar. All righty. Well, let's uh, gather around and pray for one another.